I want to extend uh, my word of welcome to you uh, this morning. Uh, it's grateful to uh, be able to be here and worship with you. Uh, some of you have uh, come from other churches uh, by invitation, uh, and we are grateful uh, for you, and thank you for coming, uh, y'all are family, and we wanted to share uh, in this moment today with you as we gather and uh, worship together. Uh, this is our second Sunday here, uh, but uh, in making our plans, uh, we set this Sunday aside uh, to uh, invite folks. Uh, of course, if you want to come and join us all the time, if we are welcome, we'd love to have all of you. Uh, but uh, we are not proselytizing. Uh, we're not asking you to leave your church. Uh, we are seeking to uh, reach uh, the unchurched and the lost. And, uh, and if God brings others uh, our way to help us in this ministry, then we certainly are grateful for that as well. If you have your copies of Scripture, if you will, turn to uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 3. Uh, as you're turning there, uh, I do want to remind you and echo what Booney said uh, pick up a copy. There's a copy there for everyone. Um, uh, we have been we've been working through First Peter, and you will hear the theme. So I won't state them now, uh, but uh, it was uh, written to a group of people who were facing persecution and would face persecution. Since most of us uh, have not encountered that kind of persecution, uh, we don't need to. Uh, take the place in our minds as we navigate through life uh, that we do not also have brothers and sisters in Christ who are facing persecution. So over the course of the next 40 days, if you will, again, uh, in addition to your Bible reading and your devotion time, if you will, uh, read one of these pieces and pray for the individuals who have been persecuted uh, and also remember that while we are praying for these individuals who may still be being persecuted, that we have brothers and sisters in Christ scattered around the world uh, who will, in fact, suffer tremendous hardship today. Uh, some may very well have their lives taken from them uh, and enter into glory uh, at the hand of those who hate them uh, and hate God. So we want to encourage, if you will, uh, over the next 40 days, uh, if you will, give attention to uh, using this as a prayer guide uh, for our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. If you are uh, joining us today here and have not been here in the last few weeks, uh, this is the 11th uh, week of our 16-week series in 1 Peter. And we've been giving attention to this epistle uh, because we want to be prepared to live and to suffer if, in fact, that's what God brings in the course of our life, even persecuted, uh, we want to know how to navigate through life in those times. We uh, have titled this series, Living Between Two Worlds, and the two worlds that we're speaking of is the world that we're living in now, this temporal world here where uh, it seems that sin abounds and there's struggle and there's hardship. Um, just this past week, I'm dealing with getting my daddy signed up on hospice care. I uh, wasn't sure what his situation would be like. Uh, Adam uh, is back here with us today and struggling uh, uh, physically uh, and in a, in a serious way. And all of that has come about in just in the last few days. And others of you uh, have had to deal with those things and even dealt with death and hardship. 
and maybe even in the course of that some persecution. The reason I mention that is, is that we're living between this world where all of that is here and as believers we are living looking toward another world. A world that, uh, where there is no sin and we, a world where that is where our home is. The world where our inheritance is being kept, uh, as Peter reminds us, being kept by God is being kept. In other words, it's secure. Uh, nothing is going to happen to it, and a whole lot of things are going to happen in this world and to this world. And we are navigating, trying to do life uh, and do it according to the purpose for which God has called us as believers. So that's the reason we uh, have given attention to this. Peter's writing to those and who uh, have been sovereignly saved. So if you're here today uh, and you trust Christ, you trust Christ because God has worked in your life sovereignly to call you and to save you. And you live as those that Peter was writing to as strangers. Sovereignly so. You are strangers. You are aliens. Uh, you, are, uh, you are in this world, but this world is not your home. And as we have been looking, we should, in fact, and we are called to, to look much different than the people around us. And if you were blessed as I have been, uh, for at least the early part of my life to grow up in a culture where there didn't seem to be that much difference. You find yourself at a place today at odds with a changing world because it is changing and it is getting worse. So where the people around me mostly look like they were believers, now they don't and they're giving sway to the draw of the world and what does the believer do? The believer holds fast and holds to the Word of God, which is why, as Adam pointed us just a moment ago, uh, we give attention to God's Word uh, in looking at our confessions and our assurance of pardon, being reminded every week, here is our failure, and it's there, and it is apparent, and here are the things that we're running into, but we can hold on to Christ. We can hold on to Christ. And we are sovereignly scattered meaning that Peter was speaking to a group of people that had been scattered by God, sovereignly so. You have been scattered. Uh, in fact, you are in a way, you are scattered seed who should be sowing seed. You have been scattered wherever, wherever you work, whatever role you have in life, wherever you are in school, uh, wherever you live, you are sovereignly scattered there and for some, and such was the case with Peter's audience, uh, they were called to suffer, and sovereignly so. It was not by accident. We've sung this morning, you've already seen, God has his hands all over it, his plan is all there. And the purpose is, and you will find if you want to flip back to there in 1 Peter in chapter 2 and in verse 9, and the purpose for all of this is that you would Proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into light. And then Peter points to how this is best accomplished. Uh, he doesn't just leave us with that. He said, now here's how that works in this world as you live between two worlds. First, he says that you live honorably. Live honorably before the world. In other words, honorable living that is reflective of the fact that you as a believer are chosen by God and you are a priesthood. 
meaning that uh, you are here to pray for, to advocate for, to stand in between, to encourage those who are lost. And that is true even as we are persecuted. We pray for them. The reason our, Jesus said that, you know, you've heard it said, love your neighbors and, and, and hate your enemies. But I'm telling you to pray for those who persecute you. When we are praying for those who are persecuting us, we are advocating for them. We are standing in the gap. We are serving as priests praying for them. Now, we can't save them and we can't change their hearts. But our heart is bent toward being concerned about their soul and their struggles in life and the sin that, that certainly exists. And we're giving consideration to them and their souls because judgment is coming. And we know that. And while we will not as believers feel the wrath of God, we can only imagine how deep and can only imagine how long in eternity when we give consideration to that suffering. And Peter tells us so we live honorably in that way. And then he says something else. Not only do we live honorably, but he says the excellencies of him who, of, of, of God, the excellencies of him whom we are proclaiming is best seen and understood when we are lovingly submissive. If you're tracking along, just point your finger there on verse 13 of chapter 2. Be subject. Be subject. So he begins there. Loving submission first to the Lord. So all submission, loving submission begins with loving God. And then we're being submissive and we are submitting to all that God brings about in our lives sovereignly, even the persecution and the hardship and the struggle and the suffering and the sickness and the death and all of those things, we are lovingly submitting to the authority of God. Why? Because we know that he is sovereignly directing everything that comes in the course of our lives. Peter goes on to say that we lovingly submit. He or she lovingly submits to God's rule, his authority, his order, his word. Why is that important? Well, it's tremendously important because that's the character of the believer. It's not enough for us to say, I believe that a God exists. That's not enough. And it's not enough for us to say that we know that God is the supreme authority. That's not enough. The mark of the believer is one whose heart is bent toward God and lovingly submits to him and his authority. And that's the reason Peter begins there. But then he goes on and he covers all the other areas of our life. He doesn't leave anything untouched. He tells us that we are to submit to civil authority. And then he tells us that we are to submit to our workplace authority. And we lovingly submit no matter how hard that is, no matter how how, how resistant they are to us, no matter what it is they say to us, no matter what it is they do, we lovingly submit to those areas and those persons of authority. Why? Because God sovereignly placed them there and he sovereignly placed us there. And then he goes on and he doesn't leave that untouched. Uh, he begins in chapter 3 to tell us that we are to submit to each other in the context of our family according to our roles. And we saw that. 
And then last week, we turned our attention to verse 8, and he said, finally, all of you, talking about brothers and sisters in Christ in the context of a local body and in and beyond, he said, you are to have unity of mind. And he goes on and says, and you are subjecting yourself to each other. You're subjecting yourself to each other. Why is that important? Well, it is important because we will not, as we've already been directed, we will not be submissive any more outside than we are here to each other. And it is here where we do life together in a local body. I put in a plug for local church membership last week. I want to say that again. God is not, will not do the, the same work in sanctifying you. We are sanctified outside of the body, but we are really sanctified inside of the body. We know that whenever we meet each other head on and we have struggles and tensions and we work through hardship and we love on each other and we walk through life together uh, and we know each other and we care about each other and then when we have those moments uh, we are being sanctified and what happens is, is that it creates in the local body an attitude and a heart that then is able to go out into the world and actually be ministers of reconciliation. And that's what Peter is pointing us to. That's what he's pointing us to. Last week, uh, we saw fellow believers acting in concert with one another, loving each other. And I'm going to use the same words that Adam used. Is the epicenter, the loving each other, is the epicenter for all humility and harmony. And then, finally, we closed last week. And hold on to this because this is where we launch and we saw that holding Christ dear in our hearts pushes away all fear in the midst of struggles and hardship. It pushes all of that away, and it puts the spotlight on hope, an unquenchable hope that, as we saw last week, is so obvious that even the persecutor will ask the one who is being persecuted what in the world's going on? Give me a defense for the hope you have. I'm, I'm getting ready to kill you, and yet you act as if that's okay, and you are praying for me in the process. Uh, Peter pushes things to the extreme. The point is, is that that hope is so unquenchable. No one can take it away from you when we are laser-focused and we are loving and submitting to the Lordship of Christ in our lives. So now let's look at our text, chapter 3. I want to back up in verse 17 because we, we are not away from what, uh, what we have already discussed. Verse 17 of chapter 3, Peter left us with this, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, uh, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
Who? To God. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Almost every book that I turn to in looking at this text, every author mentioned Martin Luther. So you're going to hear what Martin Luther had to say about this just because I thought if it was worth every place I turned, they mentioned him. Then if you haven't heard this, you would know this. Martin Luther said that the text that we just read, it's a wonderful text and a more obscure passage perhaps than any other in the New Testament. So that I do not know for certainty just what Peter means. And it is probably one of parts of it anyway. Maybe the most confusing passages in the Bible. And one commentator I read said that you can get about 180 different explanations when you comb through and combine the various options of this text. But I don't believe the meaning here is obscure. Maybe some of the nuances of it. So I want to give you five things that if you are a note taker and would like to write them down, or you can just underline them in your text or put a little dot by them because they're all coming from there. This text is about Christ, clearly. Peter has been talking about Christ all along. It's said that Christ is precious to God, therefore should be precious to us is God's treasure, therefore should be our treasure as we look to him. And coming out of verse 17, for it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. And the very next thing that he writes is, for Christ also suffered. So number one, he tells us that Christ suffered. Number two, we'll look at it in just a moment, Christ was put to death in the flesh. That word flesh is significant, and we'll look at it briefly. Then he says Christ was made alive in the Spirit, also tremendously significant. Christ is at the right hand of God. It's number four. And in the very closing statements, we hear this. And this will help us understand that we have not moved from understanding that Peter is encouraging the believers in their suffering and understanding that their submission is key to them walking through this life because all things are subjected to Christ. All things are subjected to Christ. Those five things, we'll look at them quickly. First, Christ suffered. Christ suffered. He suffered unjustly In the sense, when we look at it from a human perspective, but his suffering satisfied justice. So there is the sense where he suffered unjustly, and yet he suffered justly because he took on our sin. And Peter wants to help us see that because he wants to make this point. He did it once for sins. He did it once for sins. Paul, writing to the Romans, said, For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. 
Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 27, we hear, uh, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily. In other words, he's there. He's our eternal high priest. He is advocating for us today. He is sitting at the right hand of God, and we'll have already mentioned that. But he did first for his own sins. The old priest would sacrifice for their own sins, and then they would come back and sacrifice for the people. But this is not so of Christ. Because he did this once for all when he offered up himself. And in that rests the grounding of the hope that Peter is trying to help these suffering, sovereignly suffering brothers and sisters deal with. He suffered innocently on behalf of others' sins. Hear that. He suffered innocently on behalf of others' sins. So we have a perfect sacrifice. We have the God-man who takes on our sin uh, and he suffers one time. And when he does so, all of the suffering that is associated with sin for eternity, for those who believe, have been removed and have been taken so that even, and, and this is where Peter's pointing to, even when out of sin, persecution comes and life is sought and pain is afflicted, no matter how severe, no matter how bad, that ultimately have been lifted up out of that sin. That sin will not destroy us. That's the reason the psalmist, if I hope you uh, heard that over again, that's the reason the psalmist today in Psalm 56 said, well, what can man do to me? What can man do to me? He can do nothing to you. The worst thing that he could do to you is to take your life. But sin has not ruled in that because Christ suffered unjustly so and yet justly so once and for all. Notice what else? The righteous for the unrighteous. In other words, the righteous one came and took on all that of the unrighteous. So, if you're here today and you've trusted Christ, or if you have not yet trusted Christ and you come to trust Christ, know that it was your unrighteousness that he bore righteously and in that suffered for you once. And then that unrighteousness has been removed from you and as we have seen over again when we talk about this idea of substitutionary atonement, not only are your sins forgiven, but God graciously gives you the righteousness of Christ. And he looks at you through the lens of looking at the precious, beautiful Son of God who was without sin. So he suffered. And we see why that he might bring us to God, that he might lead us to God. And I want you to think about that for just a moment. Being brought to, being led to. We hear about uh, there are folks who prepared and, and brought food here today. We bring stuff to people. We lead people. He led us to God, which helps us understand what? 
Clearly, Peter was trying to remind them that they had been led to God, that they had not come to God on their own. Again, they had been sovereignly sought out by God and saved from eternity past, as we saw in the first chapter, in the first opening lines of that letter. And that in that, he was reminding them to fortify them in their faith as they continued to persevere even in the midst of persecution. That's his point. That's his point. To do what? To bring us to God. When? Well, to bring us to God in the moment of faith, but he is pointing even beyond that to bring us to God At the end, no matter how that end comes, no matter when that end comes, and if it comes in the midst of persecution, so be it, you will be brought into the presence of God. That's the reason when we look back at some of the opening lines of this letter, we hear that we have an inheritance that has been kept by him. It's unfading, it's undefiled, it is imperishable. Nothing can happen to it. Why? Because God is there and Christ has led us to him. The Spirit of God working in us is leading us and has led us to him and we cannot be separated from him. Isn't that what Paul said? What can separate us from the love of God? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. And that's the point. Nothing can separate us from the love of God because he is keeping everything for us and Christ's work was intentional in bringing us to God. Bringing us to God. How so? We'll look at the next phrase. Being put to death in the flesh. So Christ was put to death in the flesh. What is Peter stressing? Is he just saying this a different way? No, he's helping us to understand what's taking place here. He has put to death. Jesus has been put to death. Somebody put him to death in the flesh, meaning he died physically and in his physical death dealt with everything that needed to be dealt with for the sins of man. We know that because he died once for sins. In other words, once for all in the flesh, he died. In other words, that sin that he took upon him was also in the wrath of God, satisfied the wrath of God. Therefore, that sin upon him and in his flesh was completely taken care of and dealt with. And then notice what else it says. Not only was he put to death in the flesh, but he was made alive in the spirit. Okay? At the hands of man, he was put to death in the flesh under the sovereign will of God and under his loving submission to the Father and the redemptive work of God. All of that takes place. He doesn't. He doesn't do it begrudgingly. He does it lovingly, submitting himself to the authority of God in that. And then... Notice again, he's made alive in the Spirit. Now Peter is helping us understand that Jesus Christ was made alive in the Spirit, which secures their assurance of their salvation. In other words, the Spirit of God raised him, and when he raised him, he raised all of him. He raised all of him. So he was made alive alive 
in the Spirit. How does that help us today? Well, it helps us today to understand that if that is what has taken place with him, then in his death, we have also been made alive in the Spirit if we have trusted him. What is Peter trying to, trying to help them understand? He's trying to help them understand what their life looks like in the context of suffering. He talks about the honorable living. Talks about the care and, and obedience to God's word. That's what he is helping them understand. It, that you've been raised up and you've been made a new person. A new creation has taken place by the work of Christ. And, and that holds us and that keeps us because we know that we are in him. And we also know that because of his work, he not only led us to God by way of his death, but he is leading us to God even now. He's leading us to the completion of that work. What else does it say? Verses 19 and 20, here's where uh, Luther and most everybody else has approached this, uh, has come to say, I'm not sure, quite sure what he is meaning here. And if we leave from here today and we're not quite sure, that's okay. Peter's audience understood what he was talking about, even if we don't fully understand. What we do know is that it has to do with Christ, it has to do with God's redemptive work, and it has to do with the mercy of God that is being shown in the proclamation of the gospel by Jesus to whoever, wherever, and whenever. The emphasis and focus is on the work of Christ in his mercy to proclaim the truth of God's word. In the same way that we are to proclaim the excellencies of God in the midst of the world, not knowing what the outcome will be, even if that proclamation of those excellencies lead to our persecution and death, we do so regardless of what the outcome is. But notice what he says. He says, in which he went, in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Now, who are these people? Well, if we look at the Apostles' Creed, we would hear and we leave that portion out when we appeal to the Apostles' Creed for its great truth, uh, is that he uh, went uh, to hell and went into the abyss and preached uh, the gospel. Uh, we're not certain of that, so uh, we have no reason to believe that that's the case, but nevertheless, uh, some have said that. I'll share with you a few other thoughts that others have said regarding uh, what this may mean. A second view is that uh, Jesus descended into the place of the dead uh, in Sheol, between his crucifixion and his resurrection to liberate Old Testament saints. We don't have any, uh, any way of knowing if that is the case. A third view suggests that Christ's spirit, the, the very spirit of God, the spirit of Christ preached through Noah during the days of Noah. It sounds reasonable because Noah preached for 100 years um, 
His whole building of the ark and following in faithfulness was a sermon in and of itself. So it wasn't like that he stood up on the bow, uh, the bow cap of the ark just to preach for 100 years. That's not the point. The point is, is that his faithfulness in the midst of a wicked generation and doing what God had called him to do when it didn't make any sense to anyone else, that in and of itself was a proclamation, the hope that he had in God. That's the reason why Peter is pointing back to Noah pointing back to him in a way of an example, the reason why we have been looking at this text to say, okay, we're preaching the gospel, but what do our lives say about that? We're talking about a hope, but how does our life direct people to that hope in a way that they look at us and say, man, you've got an incredible hope in the midst of all of this. What gives? I don't feel like this. I don't have this kind of peace, even when they are persecuting. But it could be that. It could be that. And then there are others who have said uh, that it is, uh, uh, it is that Jesus uh, did, in fact, after his resurrection, but before his ascension, went and preached to the demons that, uh, that, are, being, that, are, that are being held and chained uh, even now. You say, well, what do you think? Uh, I am not sure. Uh, so I will leave it there. And if you come to some uh, absolute clarity on that, then you let me know. But the point is, is that even in the midst of all of that, it was the Spirit of God working to proclaim the message of the gospel to make sure and certain to whoever it was that they either understood about their judgment or they understood most of all the beauty and the glory of Christ. Notice what else he says. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, and we know that he did for 100 years while the ark was being prepared. And then notice this, in which a few... That is, eight persons were brought safely through the water. Of all the inhabitants of the world, on that day, only eight people were sealed up in the ark by God's sovereign choice. In spite of the movie Noah with Russell Crowe, um, there was not a stowaway on the ark. If you haven't watched it, watched it, watch it and you'll see it. Uh, the stowaway didn't make it. At least they understood that they couldn't, they, they, they couldn't mess it up like that. But there was a stowaway on the ark uh, that ultimately didn't make it. No, there were eight persons on the ark by God's sovereign plan. And all the rest of the world and everything that wasn't on the ark was completely destroyed and Peter is pointing to that end that this is this is the way that it is you may be few in number and we may be few in number in this world and may be being persecuted but we will be held and saved by God because he is keeping us and holding us 
I don't know if any of us will face a firing squad for our faith. I don't know if any of us will be used as human torches because of the proclamation of the gospel. We may. We may. Even if not here, my prayer is, is not for your death, but my prayer remains today that God will call out of this body men and women. Some of you have not yet professed Christ. Others of you have that you will be called to a place where you will proclaim the gospel and yes, you may be persecuted and yes, you may have your life taken from you. And it may not be in my lifetime. But I will rejoice with you and for you to know that you had an opportunity and that you stood boldly and that you were in the presence of God. That is what Peter is pointing to. He's helping them understand. Few they be, weak they may seem, but they ultimately are saved by God. And that was the point of him pointing uh, to Noah. While the ark was being prepared, he was preaching and the gospel was being proclaimed even then. Even then. And eight persons were saved and were brought safely through the water. Notice that. They were brought safely through the water. Now, it seems like he's making a shift, but he's not. Look at verse 21. Baptism. Where in the world did that come from? We're talking about we're talking about suffering, and we're talking about submission. We're talking about knowing the ark. We're talking about Jesus proclaiming the gospel, and now all of a sudden we hear this word baptism come up. What does this have to do with it? Well, he tells us, which corresponds to this. Corresponds to what? corresponds to the salvation of being brought through the water on the ark. In other words, the waters destroyed all the sinfulness. In other words, it didn't change Noah's heart, mind you. As soon as they got off the ark, they were right back to sinning. Okay? We, we know that. But what it did do it gave us a picture of the wide-sweeping salvation that comes because salvation is not just about the individuals who are delivered from here and carried into the presence of God. It is about the glory of God being shown and sin and all that is associated with sin being done away with. And it was done away with the persons who trust Christ on Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection and then God will come back and then will send his wave of wrath across all of those who haven't believed and sin will be taken away, will be destroyed. That's his point. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Push Paul's right there. And Peter knew where our thoughts were going to go. And he didn't stop writing. So don't stop there. Just, just look on a little farther. What does he say? 
not as a removal of dirt from the body. And he's not talking about taking a bath. He's talking about not as a removal of, 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 your, of your filth and your sin that somehow or another, that the waters of baptism wash that away. That's not it. What does he say? But as an appeal to God for a good conscience. An appeal to God for a good conscience. In other words, a plea to God to save me from my sin and my unrighteousness. Change me from within. That's what it is. What is that? Well, that's faith. That's faith trusting in the atoning work of God. Through Christ Jesus, that he bore our sin. An appeal to God for good conscience. How so? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's pointing back to the resurrection again. And I want you to get this. He's pointing back to the resurrection again because he wants to remind his readers again that when God raised Jesus from the dead, he placed his stamp of approval on that sacrifice that was made on behalf of those who would believe and that that was sealed and satisfied that he gives him life now and then the very next thing we see, look at it, it's huge. This Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. He leads us to God. He went there and he took his place at the right hand of God. And if that isn't enough, this is the point that we, we need to gather here. With angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. In his humility, he submitted to God in a redemptive plan that in the Godhead that they had determined before eternity before eternity passed, just back as long as God's been forever. And this was their plan, and that everything would be brought into subjection to him. But that place of that subjection being brought to him comes first by his love, the epicenter of his humility and harmony, all of that pointing into the Godhead to then to come and to carry out the very work that God intended for him. Look, if you will, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 24, we'll back up in verse 23. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, talking about his resurrection. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, and after destroying every rule and every authority and power, 
for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his, meaning Christ's feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will be subjected to him who put all things in subjection to him, that God may be all in all. So what do we do with all of this? What difference does this make? Well, I'd ask this question, where is your hope this morning? Where is your hope? How is your hope? Is it fortified? You have a laser focus on Christ and your love for Him and your devotion and dedication to Him and knowing that no matter what happens here, you will be with the Lord Jesus. Where is your hope? We sang earlier, I reminded of the song, we, we, have, we, we, have, we, we have gone after worldly treasures. Is, is that where our hope is? Now, I think it helps us to give consideration to hope. Let me ask you this. Are you fearful? Are you afraid? If Noah was one man who was willing to stand against the wickedness and evil of his entire generation, and God preserved him, are we fearful that God will not preserve us? So fearful that I, um, looking around, I was looking for Matthew. I think he, uh, he has providence. Well, we were, we were talking. He said, well, what do you think about us going door to door? And, and Matthew doesn't have a fearful bone in his body about telling someone about Christ. I said, there's no reason why we shouldn't go door to door in the community sharing the gospel. But the thing that will keep us from that is a fear of rejection. And, and we probably won't get shot and they're, and they're probably not going to chain us and drag us down in the basement and lock us up and starve us to death. They're probably not going to do that. They're probably not going to do that. But remember looking to Christ in the course of this and seeing his victory. That's the whole thing. Seeing his victory in all of this, uh, it points us and helps us to understand that there is no need to fear and let's look again. We may can get some sense here that there is not even any need to fear any kind of demonic force or power. Why? Because angels, authorities, and powers have been subjected to him. All of this in the context His love for us, His harmony in the body of Christ and in the body of the Godhead and us living that way so that the hope that we proclaim in word is evidenced in our lives for the sake of the gospel so that others will hear us proclaim in word and in life 
the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and in a marvelous light. But when you get to the last page and there's nothing on it, it means you stop. And so thus we will. We will stop there today, but not before we pray. You may be here and you haven't trusted Christ, or maybe you've been holding on to some kind of a profession in some way of that, well, I believe that God is real. Uh, I want you to know today, uh, salvation is had by those who submit to the authority of God lovingly and seek to serve Him and live for Him. Then, as we are sanctified to give ourselves away in service and in the proclamation of the gospel. And here in the context of the local body, to invest our lives in each other for the sake of that ongoing proclamation that will go out from here until Jesus comes. And he is coming. He is coming. Will you pray? Father, uh, we are grateful today for your grace and mercy toward us in Christ. And Father, for directing our attention to him and his glory, pointing to you and to your glory, looking and understanding today that in the course of his humility that all things were brought in subject and are brought into subjection to him, but not apart from his loving submission to the work that you had planned and carried out through him and the Holy Spirit. Father, would you help us today that our hope would be strengthened. And Father, that if it be your will in the coming days that you would hold us up and bear us up uh, as we face persecution, if it's your will. But even if it is not your will for us to face persecution in the sense that some, would you cause us not to be lazy and flippant and carefree in our living as to be blinded by the reality of what you have called us to be and what you have called us to do. Father, would you call souls to salvation here today? And would you strengthen those who already trust you? In Jesus' name.